our discipleship classes, and we're going to do that in a moment. Um, so we're going to hear from some youth, some teenagers, um, so I'll let them prep mentally before they come up. Um, but also I want to bring attention to the candle. You'll notice that it's lit today, and that's because there is uh, a team, uh, the GID team from Christian Alliance School, some teachers and students, as well as some of our own church members um, are in China ministering to students, and there were six students that came to, to know Christ yesterday. So. Let's praise God for that. And we, we do serve a God who is at work, um, and so that's amazing. So uh, I'd like for, um, I think there's two or three students who are going to come up uh, to share about discipleship class from the youth ministry. So if you please come forward, and let's give them a big hand of support as they make their way up. So maybe you can just share with us um, your name and then tell us a little bit about uh, Impact, which is the Sunday uh, youth ministry. Hi, I'm Stacy, and um, in Impact we meet upstairs and we learn about God and have fun and eat yummy things. <laughs> and we just talk about school and problems in general, and we pray for one another. Okay. And um, hi, I'm Stephanie, and basically in Impact, we just meet with people like similar to our age and like talk about like God and how it applies to our life. Okay. Now, I know that you're um, starting to do some fun things. I know you tried to have a picnic. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, it was raining. We were planning to go to the harbor out there and have a picnic, but it was really cold, so then... Um, Charmaine just had this like fake grass mat that she got <laughs> and we brought it into a room and had a picnic in a room. That's pretty creative, fun. Um, so just tell us something uh, within the past couple weeks, um, what's something that stood out to you or you've learned during your time in Impact? Uh, um, so... Last time we were talking about a parable about the treasure in a field and how, like, the deeper meaning to it, like, because, like, we don't really know the deeper meaning of it, and we talked about how, um, yeah, a parable. You're <laughs> still searching for that deeper meaning? Okay. Um, and, and then, okay, still learning, we all are. Um, so what is one way that each of you has seen God at work in your life, either at school or at home or just in your general life? <laughs> so, um, um, the past week, like, through Impact, I guess we learned that um, it's really hard as a teenager to, like, um, like be a dedicated Christian. So, like in impact we meet together and um we talk about how like we can be dedicated like through our lives and stuff and um as a student growing in hong kong there's always stresses about school and grades and friends so we just talk about how it's not as important as how god sees us and even though there's pressure we should turn to god first Thanks so much for sharing. Let me just take a moment to pray for these girls, for all of our youth, and, and Doug, who is our new youth director, and for our youth ministries. That's so important here in Hong Kong in the life of AIC. So let's pause and take a moment to pray.
Lord God, thank you so much for Stacy, Stephanie, for their willingness and courage to come up and share. And Lord, uh, we do pray for our young people. Lord, uh, there are so many temptations, so many things in this world that uh, try to distract their attention away from you. I know in Hong Kong it can be studies, it can be friends, it can be entertainment. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, use Doug and use those adults who are working with our youth to guide them, to come alongside them, to have fun together, to show your love, and uh, to help give perspective in this challenging world. So, uh, God, I pray that you would continue to work in and through our youth ministry and that we would see our young people grow closer to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you so much. Well, as a former youth pastor, it's always exciting to hear how God's working in young people's lives. So thank you both for coming up and sharing with us. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series entitled Living in the Red, which is looking at and uh, learning from and responding to the teachings of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. Just like uh, Mark Taylor brilliantly explained to the children as well as us that if you want to be a piano player, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, it's going to take sacrifice, and is it really worth the cost? And so this morning, um, we want to think about, I want us to think about um, this whole idea of the the cost-benefit analysis. Those of you in the business world, you know about this. Um, Is something really worth it? Those of you who work with budgets and you're really having to trim things out, you, you go through line by line and you think, You look at the expense, and is it worth it or not? And if it is, you keep it there. If you don't think it is, you take it out, or you lower it, or deduct it. Um, All of us, actually, in our everyday lives, do this, whether it's consciously or, or subconsciously. All of you did that this morning. You had to weigh the cost of waking up and coming to church versus, well, you can't come to church, but coming to the worship service at AIC. Um, and joining us, or to stay in the comfort of your bed and the comfort of your warm blankets, and to maybe just have a relaxing day at home in your pajamas and, you know, pop your feet up, sip on some coffee, and just relax at home. But most of you chose to get up early, get ready, hurry your kids to get ready, and rush over to church so you can worship, and you made the right choice. I'm proud of you. But we do things like this all the time. Uh, Some of you who were here last week may notice that I uh, provided a bit of a special element for the worship service. And um, something that many of you may not know is I I was in a band way back in the day, in my younger years. Um, And I was a vocalist. Um, Not the singer, the vocalist. So I won't get into more detail about that. But um, it was during that time that I met a girl um, who wound up becoming my wife, Gita. And uh, when I first met her, I had a very big, massive beard. Um, And so uh, what I didn't know, I thought Gita liked it. That's why she was dating me. I mean, it's manly. Um, But it turns out, I found out later, she actually prayed with a friend that either I would shave it or it would just mysteriously fall off. And so I'm like, what? You don't like the beard? And so we talked about that, and I wasn't losing the beard. That was my identity. Um, And so 
when we started to become more serious and we were actually thinking about and talking about marriage, her family said, well, he needs to come, I need to come over to Hong Kong to visit the family. And so that was Gita's opportunity. So she said, okay, if you're going to come visit my family, the beard's got to go. <laughs> and so I think we had a little bit of a stare down, and I lost that one. Um, and so basically, in no uncertain terms, she was basically saying it's either the beard or me. And I think I made the right choice, I think. Yes, I did. I made the right choice. <laughs> well, the cost of following Jesus. Jesus never minced words over what it would take to follow him. And so this morning we're going to look at a difficult, a challenging passage, but I think it's so important for us today, um, if we are to be true followers of Jesus, we need to hear these words as if we, we were right there with him, and we need to weigh the cost. Are we willing to respond? So we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, we can project it on the screens if it's ready. So Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Um, now before I read this, this is in the context of Jesus uh, surrounded by a large crowd, which happened a lot. He easily attracted large crowds, and he told a parable about the great banquet and how the kingdom of God was here, how he was saying the kingdom of God was here, and they were to bring everybody to come along. And so, um, obviously, people were like, great, the kingdom of God's here. We can reap the benefits of this new kingdom. And Jesus didn't want people to misunderstand what he was saying. So after saying this you know, great feel-good message that the kingdom of God is here, <coughs> excuse me, he gives this challenge of what it would take to follow him. So it says this. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not, the other if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. <laughs> it is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's just pause for a moment and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words that Jesus spoke. Lord, give us ears to hear, a heart to listen, and the willingness to respond accordingly. 
Please guide our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So the cost of discipleship. Here Jesus um, lays it out there that if people wanted to be part of this kingdom, to be his follower, to be his disciple, it's going to cost them something. It wasn't going to be easy. Well, here Jesus uses an interesting term that refers to what we call Christians or followers of him. And he uses the term disciple. Okay, He says um, in verse, verse 26 um, that if you can't uh, hate your father and mother and your wife and children, brothers and sisters, your own life, you cannot be my disciple. In verse 27, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So the question is, what is a disciple? And I think this is an important term for us to define because we hear it and see it a lot in the Bible. And I believe that there's a bit of misunderstanding amongst a lot of people and even some Christians. Um, one is that some people may think that this is referring to one of the 12 disciples. That if you wanted to be one of the 12 elite disciples, this is what you needed to do. Otherwise, if you're just an average Christian, yeah, you don't need to be that. And that goes on to another false belief is that there are Christians, there are people who profess faith in Jesus and who believe in Jesus, and then there's disciples who are the really spiritual, mature Christians. Actually, the New Testament and the Bible really doesn't make any distinction. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a saint, you're a disciple. If you are part of following the way, you are a disciple. And actually, this is a term used most often in the Bible referring to followers of Jesus. It's not Christian. It's not, you know, it's disciple. Okay? So it's important for us to understand what is a disciple. Well, the, uh, it comes from a Greek word, mathetes. And the Greek word mathetes means a student or a learner or an apprentice. And by implication, it means that you're a follower. Okay, that you come alongside someone to learn from them, to be taught by them, to imitate them. And uh, New Testament professor Michael Wilkins uh, describes a disciple as someone committed to a significant master. Someone committed to a significant master. And so taking these principles, um, here is a definition that I have come up with for disciple, which I believe reflects the, the biblical um, idea of what a disciple is. Okay, a disciple is a devoted or committed follower of Jesus. A devoted or committed follower of Jesus. Now you notice it doesn't say anything about someone who had prayed a prayer when they were five years old. It doesn't mention someone who has just always gone to church their whole life. It doesn't mention someone who just happened to grow up in a Christian home. A disciple is someone who is a committed or devoted follower of Jesus. Following Jesus is not something casual. There's no such thing as like a casual Christian. Okay? Um, in Jesus' mind, you're either a committed follower of me or you're not. Okay? And so there's something else I wanted to add to this.
a devoted or committed follower of Jesus motivated by a love for Christ and a desire to live a life that brings glory to him. Now, why do I qualify it with that? Because, first of all, being a follower of Jesus or, or a devoted follower of him is not out of obligation or guilt. It is out of a willful act of love for Christ. And the reason is, is because what has Christ done for us? Christ has done everything for us. He came and he died on the cross for us. In fact, he died in the, on the cross in our place instead of us. It should have been us. And yet he died for us. And so God has lavished his love upon us. Jesus has given up everything for us. Shouldn't we too be willing to give up everything for him? And also a desire to live a life that brings glory to him. Life is no longer about me. Life is no longer about you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's all about him. It's all about his goals, his dreams, his ambitions, not our own. And so being a disciple means we are a devoted or committed follower of Jesus, motivated by a love for Christ and a desire to live a life that brings glory to him. Um, I'm a, a new driver in Hong Kong within past couple months and something that I found frustrating in Hong Kong is uh, people don't let you get over if you need to merge into another lane. Um, in fact, something that just blows my mind is I'll be in a, in a big traffic congestion because that's almost always happens at some every other day and um, I'll be needing to get over and I'll look in my rearview mirror and I'll see a car that merges over. They kind of butt their way over, they get over, and then I think, okay, well, they, they wanted someone to let them in, so they'll obviously want to let me in, right? And so I'll wait till they come up and then I'll start to go and they zoom past and won't let me even come close to getting over. And when I think about that, I'm like, what in the world? They had kindness shown to them, and yet they're not willing to show that to someone else. And so I'm all proud and mighty. And, but then as I was thinking about that, uh, I began to think about it in a spiritual sense of how God has shown kindness to us. And I had to personalize it because I had to think, you know, Dan, would you do the same thing? Well, there's been times on the road I haven't let others over after someone let me over. Um, and I think in my own life, you know, God has done so much for me. And I had to seriously tell myself, how dare you, Dan, that you don't give everything back to God? How dare I not give everything and show that love to others? And to be honest, when I was preparing for this sermon, I'll be transparent, I really wrestled with this message and I really felt unsettled this morning because I took the time to prepare, but I just was unsettled in my spirit. It's not that I'm prepared, not prepared to say something, but I think I'm unsettled because it unsettles me. Am I that? Am I a committed follower of Jesus? Am I really devoted to him? Or do I just say I am? Do I just play a role? Am I devoted? And, and uh, do I follow him because I really do love him and that I really want life to be about him or do I often make life about myself? And so this is a, a challenge 
for each of us, including myself. Well, there's two conditions that Jesus gives here, um, and we're going to focus primarily on verses 26 and 27. But one of the conditions he says of being a disciple is you need to hate your family. Your mom, dad, brother, sister. Now, I was a youth pastor, and so I can think of specific youth off the top of my head who, if they heard this message, would perk up and say, oh, that's what it takes? I'm really good at that. <laughs> no, we're, we're not saying that, and Jesus wasn't saying that you literally need to hate your parents or hate your brother or sister or hate your own life. So what would Jesus mean here? That's pretty harsh to hate someone. Well, this is actually this idea of, of hating someone in comparison to loving someone else is an ancient Semitic idiom or figure of speech meaning basically that you love one thing or person more than another. Okay? And so hate here means that it means loving something or someone else less in comparison to someone else. Um, for example, um, for those of you who follow sports, um, well, I know some of you, any Canadians here? I think there's a few. Congratulations on gold medals in hockey. <laughs> I'm an American, so I can say that with humility. humility. A little bitterness, but some humility. Um, I know some friends who are Canadian, and they are really hardcore into hockey, um, both at the Olympics and their own hometown hockey teams. And they love, they have that pride for their, their local team or their national team so much so that when you hear them talk, you makes it seem like they really don't like the other teams or nations. They hate them. But really, I know these friends, and they don't literally hate those people, but they love their team so much that in comparison, it seems like they hate all the other teams and opponents. Um, for those of you who are married and you are madly in love with your spouse, uh, let's say you're a woman, and some random guy just comes up and puts his arm around you and starts flirting with you. Your reaction, I would hope, would elbow him and say, what are you doing, you creep? And why would you respond that way? Do you even know that person? No. Do you hate that person? You don't even know them. But your love is so strong for your spouse that it seems like you have hatred for someone else who would do that. And so... In comparison, that is what our love for Christ is to be like. It is to be so strong and powerful and deep that in comparison, everything else, it seems like we don't care anything about anything else. And so, this is um, actually, we know that it means this because Jesus says something similar in Matthew when he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so we are called to hate our family. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that you would have to hate your family? Well, in Jesus' culture, family was everything. It was your entire identity. Um, and actually, modern-day uh, Middle Eastern and even Eastern cultures are similar. 
with the whole idea of family honor. We had a special guest last month, um, Dr. Nabil Qureshi, and we heard about his journey and his story of how he came to faith in Christ. And him becoming a Christian brought tremendous dishonor upon his Muslim parents. And even dropping out of med school brought tremendous... To, to follow Jesus and to have a career that had no financial stability brought dishonor upon his parents. And so this is a culture where family meant everything. It was your identity. If you went outside of that, you had no um, protection. You had no job security because often businesses ran within families. So you would have little hope of having a job, a profession, unless you had you know, just circumstances that, that helped you along. Um, and so that was everything. And so when people heard this, they're like, I have to literally give up everything to follow you. And that was literally the point that Jesus was making because as we read in verse 33, it says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And so here, Jesus says that you're to hate your family and he adds, and even yourself. You know, we are naturally selfish human beings. We naturally just care about and think about ourselves. That's, that's natural. Um, anyone raising children will immediately see the desire for self to come out. Um, my son is only two and a half now, and he wants to do everything himself. In fact, he gets very upset if we try to help him, even though he can't do it. Um, and so we need to be people who love God so much that love for others and ourself just seems in comparison um, to pale. And so a disciple, if we look at this practically, is one who loves or obeys Jesus more than anyone or anything else. And so Jesus wants all of you. And so the question for each of us to wrestle with this morning is, what competes with him for your time and your love and your affections? What or who in your life competes with that? Are there things in your life that when it really comes down to it, really show that you have love for that more than God? Whether it's, it's good things. It can be good things like family. It can be family. It can be a career. It can be um, pursuing academics. It can be what, whatever. Are there things in your life that compete? And is there anything that maybe you need to consider in your own life of where you put your time, efforts, and energy? Well, the second condition that... Um, Jesus gives, as he says in verse 27, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We're to carry our cross and follow Jesus. Now, we have to listen to these words as if we were right there with Jesus. We cannot think of the term cross in our modern day way of thinking. And the reason I say that is because we have a kind of glamorous view of a cross. Um, there may be some of you ladies who either own or are wearing now cross earrings. And maybe they were given to you or you saw them, and it's seen as something pretty, something beautiful. Some of you um, have a, a cross necklace. 
Even some guys uh, wear a cross around their neck. Um, and it's seen as, oh, that's so beautiful, so pretty. In fact, I think that's been like a Valentine's Day gift to my wife <laughs> in the past. And we have a cross here. And so, so for us, it's, it's seen as a picture of beauty, of um, purity, of hope, uh, of grace, of love. And yet, it would, be, it would just never happen that someone in Jesus' day would wear a cross on their ears or around their neck. Because the cross was a symbol of death. It was not seen as something beautiful. It was not seen as something glamorous, of something joyful. It was seen as something that was an, literally an instrument of torture. And it was seen as something that um, was a symbol of death. Now, just to put this into a little bit of perspective, that would be like during the French Revolution, people wearing a guillotine around their neck. Oh, isn't that beautiful? So precious, okay? No, that is awful, okay? Or in our modern day um, times, giving your wife a electric chair uh, necklace. Isn't that nice? Okay. No, we wouldn't do that because we understand what that means and symbolizes. That is, that is death, that is torture, that is not something glamorous. And so we need to reorient ourselves and place ourselves in the mindset of someone who is listening to Jesus' words. And he says, you need to carry your cross, your guillotine, your electric chair, which was a symbol of death and torture. And in fact, um, <clears throat> when Jesus says this earlier in uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, um, he says it in the context of predicting his death on the cross. And Peter says, no, no, never, never. You, you can't die. You're the Messiah. You're the King. And he, he actually rebukes him and says, away from me, Satan. And he, he says, you don't have the things in the mind of God, but in the mind of man. And he goes on to say, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. In other words, I'm going to die on the cross. If you want to follow me, you have to be willing to do that too. And they would have understood that. In fact, somewhere else where he says, follow me, uh, at the very end of um, the book of John, he has this conversation with Peter and he says, do you love me? And then he says, of course I love you. And then, do you love me? And then after that, he says, people are going to dress you up and take you where you don't want to go. And, and basically what he's talking about is he was predicting Peter's death. Do you know how Peter died? He died upside down on a cross, which is even more gruesome because you suffocate and choke on your own insides. So basically Jesus says, you're going to die in this torturous way if you follow me. Follow me. Now that's not an easy gospel. That is not an easy message. And that's not something everyone is willing to do. And so what does this mean for us? Well, some of us, it may mean, are you willing to risk your life to follow Jesus? But I think at the very least, there is a principle that we are to die to ourselves and to the ways of this world and surrender to Christ to surrender everything to him. And in fact, when Jesus said that to Peter earlier, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily 
and follow me. And so a disciple is someone who surrenders everything to Christ and every day makes a conscious effort to follow him. Every day. To wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to live for you today. Help me to say no to my own desires. Help me to say yes to your desires. Help me to have the courage to live for you in whatever circumstances I'm in. And so again, Jesus wants all of you. And the question, another question for us to ponder this morning is, what would Jesus ask you to give up in order to follow him more closely? What does it mean to take up your cross in your life? I know for Joyce Samatu, it meant moving to a jungle in Africa, which is literally in the middle of nowhere. And we heard her story. And to have kids there, I mean, it, it's hard. And you, when she shared, I loved her honesty in that she, she shared, this is hard, this is not easy. But you could also hear the joy in her heart and in her life, how she loved being right where God wanted her to be. It cost her a lot. It cost her everything, and yet she's right where God wants her to be. Now, God may, may, may not be calling all of us to a jungle, but he might be calling some of you. Who knows? You know, over the past few months, we've heard story after story after story of missions. Why not? Why wouldn't God call you somewhere to serve Him that might be uncomfortable? You know what? We do live pretty comfortable lives here in Hong Kong. Let's admit it. And so what, are, what is something, one thing that maybe is getting in the way of you following God more closely? And maybe Jesus is saying, that's the cross you need to bear. You need to sacrifice that. Hey, I've given up so much for you. Are you willing to give it up for me? Well, there's one man who I believe uh, also exemplifies um, giving up everything to follow Christ. And we're going to hear, I'm going to show a short video clip, about five minutes, of his story. And this is a man named Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor in Romania back in the 1940s and 50s. And uh, that was a time when the communists came to power. And as the communists came to power, they wanted to strictly control uh, religion and religious expression. And Richard Wormbrand basically got up in front of the communist leaders as one of the pastors, and they were scripted what they could say and not say. And he said everything he's not supposed to say, preaching the gospel of Christ. And he got thrown into prison, and he was there for uh, several years. And then he was released And he was told, do not preach again or you'll be here for an even longer time and we'll torture you even worsely. And so the moment he stepped foot on free soil, what did he do? He started preaching the gospel again. And he got thrown in prison another time. And he finally was set free after years of solitary confinement and torture um, because uh, there was an amount that was paid to release him. And normally political prisoners were released for one to two thousand US dollars. But for him, they had to pay ten thousand for him for him to be set free. And so I want you to listen, I want you to hear his story of how he gave up everything and the joy he found in that, as I believe it is so powerful for us to hear. So if um, someone could maybe get the lights so we can uh, see more clearly. And he does have an accent, there is subtitles, so you may just need to, to listen a bit. Uh, more carefully to pay attention. So many of us believe that we are Christians, that we are something good, something highly talented and gifted. Paul said, I am nothing. 
I wish to start tonight by telling you a prison experience. When the communists took over my homeland, Romania, they did what they did everywhere, where they came to power, what they would do in this country too, if ever it would fall under them. They put in prison thousands of Christians. And we who were considered somehow to be leading personalities of the underground church, we were kept during years in solitary confinement, I myself and others, we were during years 30 feet beneath the earth. We never saw sun, moon, snow, flowers, stars, mountains, rivers. I had forgotten that these things exist. We never had a Bible nor any other book. We never had a bit of paper or a pen. I had forgot to write it. I have not seen a lady for 10 years. I have not seen a child for 10 years. In solitary confinement, we saw nobody except the wardens and the torturers. We never heard a sound. The cells were soundproof. We never heard a whisper. We saw nothing, we heard nothing. Perfect silence reigned in those prison cells. We had almost nothing to eat, sometimes one slice of bread a week. Fourteen years I have never seen a color. We always saw the gray walls of the cell and our gray uniforms. I had forgotten that brown and blue and green and red and pink and violet exist. Our world was gray. And years passed like this. One year after another, I became very, very tired. And one night I said to our Lord, Lord, you see, I have no brethren, no sisters. I don't have your written word. I don't have Holy Communion. I have none of these things. But you have spoken so often directly to persons, even to very evil persons, like Saul of Tars, who had been a persecutor and a killer of Christians, and you came and spoke with him. And as I had nobody to speak to me, would you speak to me tonight? And then, it were exceptional circumstances. And in exceptional circumstances, exceptional things happen. And when I said, you, Lord, speak to me, I heard his voice. Now, I expected from him a word of comfort, a word which should strengthen me in my faith. Instead of this, I heard very strange words. He put to me a question. What is your name? Now, I believe that Jesus is God, and surely God should know at least what my name is. It's very strange for a God to ask somebody what is his name. But he has put such strange questions before. He asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Well, if he is God, you should know where Adam is. He put this question to Adam, not because he did not know, but to make Adam think, am I not in the wrong place, hidden in a bush, hiding myself from my creator, before whose eyes nobody can hide himself. And so the Lord put to me the strange question, what is your name? Now I had known all my life that my name is Richard. 
But in that moment, I could not reply to Jesus, my name is Richard, because I happened to have read in church history that in Britain there was once a big saint with the name of Richard, who, because of his faith, has been sentenced to death, and I have the same name as that saint. And I fear to say to Jesus, my name is Richard, because I, I trembled about something else. What if I say, my name is Richard, and he says, are you like that, Richard? I was not like that, Richard. So I could not say that I am Richard. Should I say I am a Christian, I fear to say it, because I knew that in the first centuries, under the Roman persecution, Christians entered into the arena of circuses to be devoured by wild beasts for their faith, and I was not as courageous as those Christians. Should I say I am a pastor, I did not dare, because I knew that a pastor has to watch day and night over his flock, and I have not been like this. He had asked me, what is your name? I bowed before him and said, Jesus, I have no name. Allow me to bear your name. And that is what he really wishes from us. Paul understood it. Not I live. Not the old Paul, not a new Paul. Not the wicked Paul who has been a murderer, not the new Paul who is an apostle. Not the wicked and full of vices, not the very good and full of virtues. The I has been abolished. Not I live, but Christ lives in me. Now that is a disciple. So the question is, are we willing and ready to bear the name of Christ? Not I live, not you live, but Christ lives in me, Christ lives in you. I'll invite the uh, worship team to come up for our closing response song. And as, as they're coming up, I want each of you to consider in your own life, Are you ready to be a disciple? Some of you have been coming or going to church your whole life for a long time. Many of you have already said yes to this, and you're living it. And I know, I know a lot of you. And for that, I just want to say, keep up the good work. Keep up uh, bringing glory to Christ's name in your life. I'm so proud of you. Others of you, well, maybe... Your basis of Christianity is just that you've come to church. And you've really never made that kind of commitment. And so today we're inviting you. Don't wait. Make that commitment. And for many of you, maybe you're new to Christianity or maybe you're, you're not a Christian. And so today is the day to, to not just hear Jesus' words, but to respond. And say, man, I know it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. I'm going to have to give up some things, but I'm going to be gaining a whole lot more. Not only eternal life in the future, but fullness of life now.